All right, we are uh, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17. I gave you a new outline this week. We will see if we get to that outline. I'm going to finish the old outline first. And let me say to you that if, in fact, uh, you didn't get this outline from me and you, got, you gave me your email, that means that in some way I could not interpret the email that you wrote. Let's just leave it that way. So if you didn't get the lesson, uh, see me afterwards and print legibly, again, what your email address is so that I will, I will try to do it the right way. All right? So that's, that's today's opening gambit. We are studying the life of David. We are going to study David this entire season. He is the perfect example for us of God's man. He, he is a faithful, godly Man, yet God displays him in so many situations in which we see his warts, just like us, and his failings, just like us. And yet he comes to recognize and repent uh, for the things that he does, and God lifts him up. What a perfect example of the relationship that we need to have with God. And so when I left off last week at our last study, David was about to confront Goliath. And so if you turn to 1 Samuel 17, beginning at verse 38, let's follow along. When <clears throat> Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Now, by the way, why that is unusual is that Saul was an exceedingly large man himself. Uh, theologians tell us that Saul was probably 6'7 or 6'8. Uh, and so one of the reasons that Saul got chosen as king by the people was that he was this incredible physical presence. And so here is David, who is obviously a slight young man, carrying, trying to put the armor on of somebody who is much larger. What does it mean? It means God does not want you to basically clothe yourself with somebody else's righteousness or protection. God wants you to stand on your own only within the power of God's spirit. Uh, and you see that here um, with David. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Now, let me stop and talk about the five smooth stones. Now, David has already testified that God has been with him and that God allowed him to kill a lion and a bear. And now David believes that God is going to protect him when he goes out and faces the giant. And remember, everything that we talk about here is not merely a story. God gives us the story, but there are spiritual lessons that are far greater than just the story itself. And so here he is going out to face the giant, just like you face the giants in your life. That's what this is about. Each and every one of us has giants in our lives. The, the perceived insurmountable enemy I don't know what it is. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's relationship. But there are Goliaths in each and every one of your lives. And now David goes out knowing that God, believing in faith that God will protect him, and goes out now and he selects 
five smooth stones. Now we know as we get through this story that he will kill Goliath with one stone. So the question becomes, why did he choose five stones? Now there's an interesting uh, dichotomy of, of theological belief on that. There are some theologians who say Goliath had four other brothers and that David selected the five stones because he knew that he would have to contend with Goliath's four brothers. I, I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. I think this is a lesson of how God wants us to act. Meaning what? Meaning that God tells you that he'll be with you, that he will guide you, but you don't blithely walk through life unprepared. I mean, it would be exam- I can give you the personal example in my own life. If I pray to God to be with me and help me in a particular case and sustain me in a case, would I walk into court ignorant, unprepared, Not having studied? Of course not, I wouldn't do that. You'd say you'd be a moron to do that. And then somebody might say, well, where's your faith in God? Well, faith in God is that God will give you the abilities. He's given you the talent. He's given you the intellect. He's given you all these tools. Now he expects you to use them as he will be with you and sustain you. And that, I believe, is the story of the five stones. He went out there knowing God would be with him. But he didn't know if he would slay Goliath with the first stone or the fifth stone. And that makes this story even better, don't you think? That you go out there not knowing specifically, not knowing specifically how God is going to address your need, how he's going to fight this battle for you, but knowing that he'll be there, yet you prepare, yet you contend. It would be be like me deciding that God had called me to teach and not writing an outline or not preparing, believing that when I got up here, I would open my mouth and the Holy Spirit would make words come out of my mouth that would touch your hearts. No, that's not, that's not godly conduct. That's not how God wants us to act. God wants us to rely on him, yet to be prepared. And so I think that's a great lesson there as you, as you see him choosing five stones. I, I've always been impressed with that and, and really, uh, God has really illumined me on that so he takes the five stones, put them, puts them in his pouch. Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him. Can you imagine the size of this guy? The shield himself had to be held up by another guy. Kept coming closer to David. Can you just get a picture of this? This guy who's now about nine feet tall. All right? And, and we believe that. We know that they had giants during that period of time. Approaching This young man, David now would have been maybe 18, 19 years old, approaching him, kept coming closer to David, verse 42. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He despised him. Wow. He despised him. He despised him because you see that's how Satan is. Satan looks at you, and make no mistake about it, Goliath here is the representation of Satan. And we're going to speak about this metaphorically, about what it means as we study this. It is Satan, because he will despise, he will despise God's messenger. He will also blaspheme God. He will put God down. And that's, that's how Satan operates. The accuser of the brethren, as they say in another scripture about Satan. And so here he is, and he despises him. 
Uh, it's almost a word of total disdain. Who are you? Who do you think you are? How dare you think you can come against me? And I say to you again, this is a lesson for you. This is what Satan does to you. When, you're, when you are going to confront some of these issues and you begin to pray about it, I mean, I know how, how Satan tempts you. I mean, even as you're uttering these prayers, Lord, help me, give me faith. Lord, deliver me from this. And then the other side of, the, of the, your brain says, who are you to pray? God doesn't hear these prayers. Who are you kidding me? You know this isn't going to happen. And that's exactly what this is going on here. That's exactly how the Goliaths in our lives work. Uh, he, he disdained him. He despised him. Um, and so as we continue on, verse 43, he said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Wow. Uh, I mean, as you, see, as you see this, you see how, how the total disdain uh, comes from, from evil, how, how, uh, how they really despise us, as, as Satan despises us. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Wow. Now, you know that David had a prophetic gift. He had a prophetic gift. And so you see that prophetic gift uh, on display here. As he says to Goliath, exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to cut off your head, and I'm going to give your carcass and the carcasses of the rest of the Philistine army to the birds uh, of prey. They will feed off you. How dare you blaspheme God? And you see, really, how, how God expects us to confront these Goliaths. We don't do it in our own strength. We do it in the strength of relying on the holy God above. We cite God as our helper. And when we rely on God, when we rely on God, that's what he will do. He will be with us. And so what you see here, as you look at this whole thing, is you see Goliath trusted in his military might. He trusted in his own physical strength. And, and, and when you see Satan, Satan will often do that. He'll think that you're able to confront these giants on your own. And Goliath was a giant. He never thought about the fact that this young man would come and be able to defeat him. Uh, and so he says it, am I a dog? That just shows you that's what happens when you don't rely on God, when you're relying on your own resources. And yet David had no resources. No resources. He didn't come with heavy armor. Heavy armor, or heavy shields. He comes out with a slingshot and five stones. What an example to us as to how God expects us to face the world. You don't need to have supernatural power in this world. You don't need that. You have Jesus Christ with you, abiding with you as you face the problems in your life, as you face the Goliaths in your life. You don't need the incredible armor that the world says you might need. You don't need that when you rely on God when you rely on God. And so here he is, no resources, 
no title, no position, a shepherd boy coming out, and God is going to protect him and use him in a way that few people will ever see anybody being used again in the history of the world. David came in the name of, the, of God by invoking the power of God. The stone that he would sling at Goliath's head would be guided by the invisible hand of God. Now, I'm sure David was very athletic. I'm sure David was very athletic. But let me, from what I understand in terms of the helmet that, that Goliath wore, it, it completely covered his head except for a small spot on the forehead. There was a section in the, in the helmet where, the, where there was an opening. Now, I don't know how close David was, but I can't believe he would be that close because uh, Goliath had javelins and swords and he had ways that he could have come and, and crushed him. So let's assume that David was 30 or 40 feet away. Can you imagine being able to hurl a stone that distance so that it would hit a precise spot in the temple of the head, causing death immediately? Come on. That's God. I mean, really, you want to see the hand of God? It was God that guided that stone. Yes, he had faith. Yes, he relied on it. Yes, he was his arm. Yes, he threw it. But it was God that took that missile and brought it to its precise spot. Don't ever forget that. So when you study the story of David, don't sit here and say, oh, I could never do this. I could never do it. I, I don't have that strength of character. I want you to understand something. These stories are in the Bible to uplift you and let you know that, yes, you can when you rely on God Almighty. That's the thing. When you rely on God Almighty, and you see that. And so uh, David, after he, sl after he comes and, and sees Goliath, he utters a prophetic word to him. And this will be the beginning of, of, a, of a gift of prophecy that David will have his entire life. And you'll see that in the Psalms when David will give a prophecy of the coming Messiah. He will give a prophecy of precisely how Jesus will be crucified on the cross. Uh, this is a gift that God had given him. Uh, and, and one of the things that I, I want to emphasize here is I want you to see here how the world will not stand beside you and will not think that you can do this. One of the things that you see here is you see Saul giving David his armor because Saul believed that there was no way this kid could go out and fight him without the armor. And that's how the world is. They don't believe that you can go and just stand there uh, in front of the Goliaths of your life with, without having their help. And yet you see that, that God didn't want David to have it, that David didn't need to have it. Saul talked him, tried to talk him out of going to face Goliath, uh, and uh, it, to me, it was, it's, this is a very poignant passage, uh, because Saul thought he'd be an unqualified youth. Well, that's how the world is. You're not qualified to do this. Who made you think you got that gift that you can go and serve in this particular capacity? Or who made you think that you can face this problem in your life? You, there's so many naysayers around us, so many negative aspects around us, trying to drag you down, and much of it is inspired by Satan, the accuser of the brethren. This is, a, this is a poignant passage. God is telling you that you can do some incredible things when you submit yourself and rely on him for him to be with you as you go through these trials 
and difficulties. Now, one of the things that gave David faith here, and this is important, David had faith because he had already experienced private victories. He had private victories that would then sustain him and carry him in a public forum. What does that mean for you? It means this. In your prayer life, in your communion with God, in your daily walk with God, as you continue to unfold with God and speak to God about the things that come, come your way, you're going to have a lot of issues that come your way. Many of them will not be the big Goliaths. They'll be small issues. They might be speed bumps. But you will have developed a relationship where you will pray and God will answer. God will give you wisdom. God will open doors. God will close doors. You know, it's not just the open doors. It's the closed doors also that God protects us from making mistakes in our lives and going in places we shouldn't. And so when you see this, when you experience the private victories, then your faith is sustained. Your faith is strengthened. Then when you come into a large public confrontation, the, the, the large Goliaths in your life, you have faith to know that just like God took care of you in the smaller private issues, he will take care of you in the larger public issues. And so David understood that the Lord does not save with a sword, uh, for the battles are the Lord's, uh, and, and so we don't, we don't need necessarily the, the tools of mankind to fight the battles that we're going to face. We need the power of God. Uh, I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah is one of the last books in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And that essentially is how David was operating. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God. Turn also, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I always like to be able to give you a reference both in Old Testament and New. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 3. For though we live in the world, and by the way, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, for although we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power, underline that, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. What a powerful presentation of what it means to be a Christian. We rely on the power of God. Uh, we're not fighting the battles the way the world does. We don't use the tools that the world does. We, we, we rely on the divinity of God and Jesus Christ to demolish strongholds. Meaning strongholds what? Meaning those things in your life that would deflect you from God. Those doubts, 
that enter your heart that would keep you from the cross of Jesus Christ. Those temptations, those trials that come your way, we rely on God to sustain us and to, to demolish them. And the key to this is obedience. Obedience. Submission. And as we submit and obey God, the more he pours his love into us and, and, and fills us with his spirit and gives us a strength to, to be able to do this. And as you read this story, and as you get to the point with David, one of the things that you see here is that David's spirit was disturbed by this demonic presence in front of him. He didn't sit down and settle. He didn't stay in the back of the army. He didn't stay there with his brothers or even Saul and quake with fear. But because his heart was disturbed, his spirit was disturbed because he saw the enemy of God blaspheming God, blaspheming the people of God. He refused to settle for the status quo. There's a lesson for you today. God doesn't want you to settle for the status quo. God doesn't want you to settle for things the way the world settles for things. God is instructing you that you are a man of God. You need to stand up when you see things that are, that are violating God's will. You need to be God's man. You need to have courage. You need to have courage, not to sit there and be a wimp. To say, well, I'll let other people take care of it. If this is offensive to God, God will find some other tool. That's right. God will find some other person. And the blessing that could have been yours will be used by somebody else. Never mistake the fact that God needs just you to answer a problem. Don't ever go down that path. I mean, really. Don't ever think that unless you get on a boat to Africa, that Africa's going to fall uh, in into the abyss. Let me tell you something. Believe me. I hope God uses you. I hope he sends you to Africa. But don't ever think that you are the missing cog. Oh, but for me, Lord. Let me tell you something, folks. It doesn't work that way. You'll never see it. God gives you the opportunity. He wants you to step up. And if you don't take the opportunity and you don't step up, guess what? Somebody else will come. That's how God is. That's how God works. And so these are lessons that you need to say, to put in your life. David refused to accept the status quo. He couldn't stand the fact that there was a blasphemer of God denigrating not only God, but the people of God. And he stood up for it. What a lesson for us today, especially in these cultural times when you see the entire world devolve away from God. Stand up. Be the kind of person that stands up when you're in a group and you hear somebody make some ridiculous statement about God who has never read the Bible, it doesn't understand what God is about or Jesus Christ, stand up. Now do it in a way that's, that's, that's a good way, that's a loving way, not in an offensive way. And you understand what I mean by that. And so you, you understand this. And so what does it mean? God is looking for a few good men. You understand? A few good men. Will we be one of the few good men? It's not everybody. Most people don't take up that kind of cross and step forward. But you see this in the life of David. And look at what God did with this incredible young man, how God would promote him and lift him up, where not only would he become the king of, of Israel, he would be in the line of lineage of Jesus Christ. Wow. God, you are amazing. When you step up and you see when people, a few good men step up, and, and for God and make their statement. And so now let's get to the, to the uh, ultimate event here. 
uh, as, as he has now told Saul, as he's told, excuse me, Goliath, what, what's going to happen to his carcass. Uh, and so he says in verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spirit that the Lord will save, but for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. The Philistine moved closer to attack him. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Boy, you got to love this guy. I mean, seriously. He moved quickly towards him. Now, I have to put myself in this. I don't know whether I would be moving so quickly to face this nine-foot giant. I might be sidestepping and sneaking and trying to faint and, you know, using my incredible speed. (laughs) You're laughing at me. Uh, But you understand the human aspect, right? You understand this. David, filled with the power of God, with the Holy Spirit of God, runs quickly towards him. Um, And and reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. Can I have an amen? Really, honestly, can you imagine? All of a sudden, this nine-foot giant with one stone goes from this vertical position to this horizontal position. Can you imagine what that had to be like for the people of God, the armies of God, to be sitting there and looking at the enemy of God, now slain by this young boy, slain, and the Philistine army, the enemy of God, and the Philistines were always the enemies of God, always historically. Here they are now looking at the guy that they, that they thought would be their leader, would vanquish God's people, now lying there dead, a corpse. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword, drew it from the scabbard, and after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Let's understand what, that, what the significance of that is. He took Goliath's sword, and with Goliath's sword, he chopped off his head. You can imagine what the size of that sword had to be, all right? But you can also imagine the power of the Holy Spirit infused through the body of David at this point, that God would demonstrate that he would take the very tools of Satan, the very tools of of the demon, and use them against him. What a message from God about what it means when you submit yourself to God, how the Goliaths in your lives fall before the presence of the Almighty God. Verse following that. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Isn't that interesting? Okay? All these things that appear to be the giants in our lives, that when face, come face to face with the power of God, the manifestation of God, you see how they run. You know? You see how they run. And so as you see this, uh, you see the power of, of God uh, in this light. The men, then, then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharam road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. That must have been some parade. And he put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. 
As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Now this is interesting because remember that David had already been playing the harp in the palace of, of, of the king uh, in order to placate the king who has been suffering from really uh, mind-blowing uh, depression uh, and possibly demonic attacks, and yet he didn't recognize that this, is, this was David. Abner replied, as surely as you live, O king, I don't know. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him up, brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. And so, what an amazing passage this is, as you see the power of God through this young, young man. And so, Saul didn't know who David was, even though David had served him uh, as a musician and even as an armor bearer. We see that in, in uh, chapter 16. Uh, he seems to be a stranger to Saul, but that's all right. God, is, God doesn't need you to have the favor of the king. God will raise you up irrespective of, of who your connections are when you rely on him. Pro Saul probably never asked about David's testimony about, the, uh, about his prior life or his family life since he had a distressed spirit uh, and probably gave him a poor memory as well. Uh, and so you, you see the lesson here unfolding. Uh, and, and as you understand this, I want you to understand that there is a greater lesson here as God is outlining this to us, many, many theologians believe that this becomes a metaphor for the last days when the Antichrist will rise up uh, and many will be, will be uh, killed and how God will defend Israel at those last days. It's a picture of the end time giants that this world will face. It's a picture of the Antichrist during that period of time and the fact that the Antichrist will put together a coalition of nations which will wage war against Israel. And you know from your biblical studies that, that everything that we read seems to tell us that in the last day there will be gathered on a great field in Israel, Armageddon, where all the adverse forces of the world will be gathered, led by the Antichrist to destroy Israel once and for all, all those battles will culminate there. Uh, and, and we have a basis to understand that that will happen. Look again at Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14 is a prophetic uh, word. Verse 2. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, and the women raped. Half of the city will go into exile, and the rest of, but the rest of the city will not but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. Can you imagine what that day is going to look like when Jesus comes back and stands on that mountain, fighting against what, what theologians will be several hundred million uh, soldiers gathered there to destroy Israel? 
Um, and here's what will happen. Just as in this expression that you've seen with David and Goliath, the Lord will defend his people through those who will use weak weapons like David's. Uh, Look and say, right, while you're there in Zechariah, turn to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 15. And the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine, but they will be full like a bowl used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. In other words, there will be no human explanation for how this small group of people there left. The remnant will fight against hundreds of millions of armed soldiers with the latest technology. But here's the answer. Jesus Christ will be standing on the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus Christ stood with David when he faced Goliath. That's why this story uh, rises to a level more and above just what you're learning here. And so you see that David, God will raise up his younger Davids against the Antichrist for the greatest showdown in history. And, and, and Goliath said he would feed David to the birds. David said it right back to him, right back to him as he gave the, the, the prophecy. And so you see this, you see the power of God you see how God works, how God lifts us up. And so there's some practical lessons here that I want to bring as I bring this lesson to a close. And I want you to, to reflect on this as you think about this story this week. First, in order to, to dominate the giants in our lives, we need a spiritual perspective, a practical faith, and a focus on God's glory. Let me repeat what I just said. You will need a spiritual perspective perspective meaning what you're not fighting these things in the flesh even though they come to you in the flesh you have to understand that that demons evil spirits bad things in this world will come against every one of us and so you have to understand that even as you face them there is a spiritual aspect to this and so even though when you look at these things, your first inclination is to try to fight it within your own will, your own talents, your own gifts, what you have to do is drop to your knees and say, God, I need you. God, you tell me. You guide me. You lift me. You, you direct me. You need a spiritual perspective, meaning you rely on God and Jesus Christ. Then you need a practical faith. What does that mean? It means a faith that you've used before on a daily basis. You don't just wait for the bad times and all of a sudden go, oh, God, oh, help me, please, I need, I need faith. Faith doesn't work like that. Faith starts as a small kernel in small things in your life and develops, develops and gets bigger and blossoms. That's what faith is. When you see it in the small things, the private things of your life, then God will blossom that into the public things. And then a focus on God's glory. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And this is even, this needs to infuse in your prayer life. Because for so many of us, our prayers have become like requests to a hotel concierge. You understand what I'm saying? God, oh, please give me another 10,000 bucks. Lord, give me a better car. Lord, I need a bigger house. Lord, please give me a bigger house. 
Lord, let the Green Bay Packers win. No, no, I don't know why I said that. But the point is this. The point is this. Focus your prayer life on the glory of God. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? It's all of a sudden, it's not me, 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 me. Instead, it's God, Lord, you. Lord, you. What do you want me to do for you? What do you need me to do? <clears throat> How do I raise up you, Lord? What, where do you want me to go? What are you going to do in terms of this trial to lift up yourself, God? I want your glory to be unveiled. Oh, wow. When you pray like that, that's a prayer that goes straight to the throne of God. And many times, these other prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You see the difference? When you begin to understand what it means to have this kind of prayer life and, and life as a Christian in terms of how you view it. And then we need a practical faith in the living God. David's faith was not generic. Rather, David believed in the living God who had a covenant relationship with his people. Let's understand that. David understood. David had read the scripture. David understood that God had covenanted with Abraham. He understood that God had made that promise. And so David didn't have a generic faith. Well, I believe that there is a God and God is in control. That's a generic faith. No, David believed that he had a personal God who had a personal relationship with each and every Jew that he had covenanted with. And that's what you need. You need to have that personal understanding, not a generic understanding, but a personal understanding. Uh, and, and if you would, turn to Philippians chapter 4. This great section of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything. I can do everything through him that gives me strength. What does that mean? It means I can do everything that is God's will within the will of God, within God's ways. All of those, whatever God's ways are, uh, and when God asks us to do something and puts us in a position where he needs us to step up, God will give you and answer those needs. I can do everything within the power of God. He will strengthen me. He will be with me. He will be, abide with me. And so faith rooted in practical experience based on the faith that God had allowed him to kill a lion and a bear, David had the practical experience to understand what it meant to rely on God. He attributed his victories to God. Did you understand that? He attributed his victories to God. Are you attributing your victories to God? Or are you like the way I was when I was in my 20s and 30s, when I would visit my parents and talk about the various victories that I had in court and the big clients that I had signed up and I would lay it out at breakfast with my mother and father and my father would go, thank God. But then I, I, I did this, thank God. And I would lay out another point, thank God. You got to understand I'm about 30 years old and finally I go, wait a minute. 
wait a minute, I'm killing myself. I'm killing myself. And, and everything you say is, thank God, thank God, thank God. Don't I? Don't I? Get any credit? And my father made those faithful words that really resonated forever with me. Well, he said, let me ask you something, son. Could you do it if God didn't give you an intellect? Well, mm, no. Could you do it if he didn't give you the health? Well, no. Could, he, could you do it if he didn't give you the opportunity? Well, no. So by the time I got through this, this dialogue with my father, I left the house, I was about a midget. I was like about, you know, two inches tall. I needed help to open the screen door to get out. But let me tell you something. I thank God every day of my life that I had people like that who understood that they needed to drum a lesson into their son who had the very likely possibility of having his life be arrogant and prideful. Do you give God the credit for the victories in your life? Because if you do, then you're deflecting the glory to God, and God will pour more blessings into your life. That's what David did. David didn't go around saying, oh, I have killed the lion, I am so smart, or the bear, I am so daring. No, God did it. God allowed that. God came in. God gave this. And this is the problem with many cultural Christians today. I don't care how often you go to church and get involved in a ritual in which you think you're worshiping God. God doesn't care about your rituals. The question is your heart. Are you giving the glory to God? Are you putting the battles in front of God? Are you living your life the way God wants you to live so that each and every one of us can be like David? Amen? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us today. This incredible message, Lord, that, that comes forth with David as we see this young man lay it all on the line with you and how you answered and held him and uplifted him. Lord, I thank you so much for these words. I thank you for these men who come out and want to study and learn more about you. Bless them. Continue to be in their life. Continue to speak to their hearts, Lord. Protect them this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word, Lord. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.